Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. Today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about the horror comedy, Innocent Blood. That old black magic has me in its spell. I could tell you're excited. That old black magic that you weave so well. Those icy fingers up and down my spine. Ah! Hey, what are you, some kind of a freak? Now, this guy's lost a lot of blood. Yeah, well, he had his head blown off. No, this guy's really lost a lot of blood. Marie had a hunger to feed on the evil. You want a ride? You got one. Michelli's a gangster. Call me Sal. Who's out to take over the city. I call you. Marie. Wait, Marie. What he didn't count on was a vampire. Come on, baby. Relax. For the taste for Italian. <laughs> now, the undead. <laughs> and the undercover. You are under arrest. Are teaming up. Michelli's not dead, is he? <laughs> Gotta get hold of yourself. To take the bite <laughs> out of crime. You're gonna be made men. But when you're made by me, nobody can touch you. Welcome to the family. From John Landis, the director of An American Werewolf in London. You lost a lot of blood. Are you sure you don't need more? Don't worry. You're not my type. Innocent Blood. A movie that goes straight for the jugular. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. Uh, Innocent Blood was a 1992 release directed by John Landis. It stars Anne Parallo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. It's a French name. Robert Loja, Anthony LaPaglia, Don Rickles, Chaz Palmentera, and a bunch of other people. Uh, and the synopsis from rotten tomatoes is marie is a vampire with a conscious conscience she only sucks for the blood of criminals i don't we'll have to talk about that i don't know if that the, the they explicitly said that or not uh and she has plenty to choose from on the mean streets of pittsburgh where a gang war is raging um it's not really a gang war it's the mafia but uh but marie slips up when she accidentally turns a violent criminal lord sal Macelli, robert loja into one of the walking dead to take to stop a takeover of the city by blood-sucking gangsters marie joins forces with an undercover cop anthony lapaglia who has his own score to settle so uh, this one was new to each of us i was aware of it but i don't think you'd even heard of this right never even heard of it so what did what did you think um there were parts of it that i liked quite a bit um i thought that um marie the vampire lead uh i think i felt that the camera loved her she had a dazzling smile there was a, a lot of the natural movie star to her i did find you know english she spoke heavily accented english and um to the degree that her delivery felt very stilted 
uh, at times. And I, I, that actually took me out of it a little bit because uh, I don't know that it equated to her not being a good actor. I just think, I don't know, maybe you can hear some of it in the trailer, but there would be times when she sort of talked like that. And I was sort of like, oh boy, <laughs> I don't know. It just got in between me and, and connecting to the character. Um, you know, and I think some of the performances of the goons were good too. I thought as, as a bad guy, um, you know, the mob boss was good. He was scary. And Don Rickles plays his lawyer. Um, I, I, on, on it, it, the comedy didn't really land most of the time for me. I ne- I never really found this film funny, but it was uh, clearly really trying to be funny, trying hard to be. And, you know, I think when the vampires attacked, uh, some of that was, un- was, was genuinely scary slash startling slash effective, you know, um, they, they had kind of these corny uh uh the contacts contacts that, yeah. that they would either you know CGI in later with color or maybe they had a colored light that would respond to it but the uh the color of the eyes was not consistent and the contacts were frequently not seated properly so the pupils were sometimes kind of looking off in different directions in a way that was unintentionally funny Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like between this thing not really threading the needle of comedy and horror, which is tough, it's tough to do, Um, but, you know, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So, I I just felt like it didn't really come together in a way that I, you know, that made, it didn't click Mm -hmm. for me. What about you? Yeah, there's there's not much of that that I would disagree with. I mean, I, I sounds like we're going to be pretty, uh, you know, similar in our in our views on this. Um, so famously, John Landis directed and I think wrote maybe as well an American Werewolf in London, which is categorized as a horror comedy or comedy horror. To me, that film has always been a horror movie that has jokes in it. I've never really viewed, I mean, it's straight up horror in in my opinion. Um, You know, a a horror comedy to me is something like Shaun of the Dead. Right. Um, But Landis, he's had a mixed career. Um, He directed to me, you know, I've already mentioned American Werewolf in London, which is a classic, I think. And and also uh, the Blues Brothers, which is a classic too, which is, you know, just a comedy. but he directed coming to the first coming, the original coming to America and he directed trading places. So, you know, he has this comedy history. I I would guess who knows, but that they were trying to recapture some of what American werewolf in London had. Yeah. And it, I don't think it was the humor. So it feels very disjointed. So there is, most of this movie is played fairly straight i would say especially a lot of the scenes with anthony lapaglia and uh her those are all none of that is humorous really um but they're like there's one scene where so uh 
Robert Loja, you know, she turns him into a vampire and then he just starts turning everybody else into vampires. Right. And he, I really like his performance, even though yeah. it's comedic. He just seems like he's having the time of his life yeah. in this role, you know? Yeah. He's not uh, holding anything back. Yeah. He's really great, but it's not really for the most part slapstick. So it doesn't feel too out of place in this. But there are some scenes like, for example, he he turns Don Rickles is his attorney and he turns him into a vampire. And there's a scene where so they take him to the hospital and a nurse opens up the blinds and he catches on fire. And it's a pretty neat effect. But you have all these nurses and doctors come running in and they're screaming and it, and it seems like something in a sitcom or something. You know, it just feels very it doesn't feel in tone with the rest of the film. Right. Um, I enjoyed all of the performances. Basically, I thought Anthony LaPaglia and Chaz Palminteri and, you know, all these other people. And, and like I said, uh, uh, Robert Loja is great. But as you said, you know, she's beautiful. And from a just physical acting standpoint, she does a good job. But exactly as you said, I really had a hard time getting past the the line delivery with the accent right and that's probably those two things you know her, her line de delivery and the the kind of weird tonal shifts are the biggest weakest links in this to me right um i wonder if there was any kind of you know studio studio interference with this that mm -hmm. that you know maybe they wanted more jokes or whatever i don't know but it, you know, it's a movie that, you know, kind of 60, 70% of the time seems pretty straight. And then right. there are just these really slapstick moments in it, you know? You know, when it starts off, um, it's a shot of a cityscape. And I don't know if the whole movie is Sinatra or not, but there's a lot of Sinatra in the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Um I just don't remember, but let's just say for the sake of argument that it's Sinatra. If not, it's it's one of the Italian crooners with a big orchestral, you know, and we sort of. um, And it's, you know, it's not that's a more, but it made me think of Moonstruck. It made me think of that. This is an Italian American film about the romance of living mm -hmm. in the city. You know, sure, mm -hmm. we got a family. We're just watching out for each other, you know, and then there's a big sweeping scar. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, okay, okay. I, yeah, I know this movie. Okay. But it's it's got vampires in it. All right. I mean, I, I was interested at first, you know. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stay to that tone. Mm -hmm. When she first vampires out, one of the choices they make is they use a lot of um, like a wildcat sound or a lion. It's like, you know, yeah. and I'm like, is she making that noise? <laughs> you know, because it, it's just wild. Um, it's just uh, like National Geographic. It's, it's not modified in any way. Sometimes they do her voice a little bit where she sort of they deepen it. And you're kind of like, no, I don't like that. That's a cheap sounding effect. Uh, but the, I mean, it's just the sound of a big cat, like a panther or something. Mm. And, I, and they don't, they don't do anything to it. So I, I, that took me out of a little bit, but you know, the, what he does with the camera, 
and those eyes pop open. And and when she first attacks, I guess it's Chaz Palminteri as her first victim. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he hits on her in kind of a ham-handed way, and and but she's already got her sights set, so she gets in the car, and he's got like. I don't know, 12 CDs or something in a in a case in the car and they're all Sinatra CDs and she just comments on it. She's like, nothing but Sinatra? And he was like, don't, you know, don't say it, you know, don't, not a word about not a word. Mm-hmm. You're like, that's supposed to be a joke. That moment is supposed to be a joke. Like he literally has only Sinatra. It just feels weird. You know, you're mm-hmm. kind of like, on the page, somebody wrote this and then you all got together and you cast it and you shot it and you storyboarded it. And everyone was like, this will be funny. <laughs> you know, I don't, It's just not a funny joke. Mm-hmm. I, like, could Jim Carrey make that funny? I, I don't know. It's just not funny. So it feels really strange because you're mm-hmm. like scary stuff actually manages to be scary. And when the vampires turn, they have some fun with. The mob boss comes, he doesn't know what's going on, right? I mean, nobody believes in vampires, so that's not your first thought. Um, I just it the the comedy in it seemed so stilted and so forced that I couldn't, I was sort of scratching my head. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe the studio was like, this has to be. Uh, it'll be a summer, like a date night. It's got to be funny. It's got to be like, I think Sam Raimi's actually in this. Wasn't oh, yeah. It? Yeah, we didn't even. So he puts, uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've completely forgotten about that. He seemingly just puts a lot of his friends in there. Sam Raimi's in it. Uh, Frank Oz is in it. Um, uh, Dario Argento, the Italian director, is a, he's a ambulance driver yeah. uh there's some other people in there he, well, there's a bunch of camp- oh um uh, shoot uh damn it i can't believe i can't think of his name but the uh effects guy uh shoot uh anyway famous pittsburgh effects guy uh is in it i, I can't believe i can't think of his name it'll come um, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know who you're talking about but it'll come to you but 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 again you know frank oz for those of you who don't know who Frank Oz is, he was a colleague and friend of uh, Jim Hansen's for a long time, Vo- voice of Cookie Monster, voice of Bert, right? I mean, any any of the Muppets on that original thing that were like uh, yin and yang was yeah. Hansen and Frank Oz, right? Um, so he's funny. He's got great comic timing. He is a coroner in this and couldn't be playing it straighter Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i mean there's lots of scenes where the one i'm thinking of right now is the coroner sort of backs away not unable to believe what he's seeing like frank oz if you had wanted frank oz to play that funny frank oz could have played that funny he clearly Mm -hmm. was directed not to in that moment i'm just like what maybe it was the kind of thing that um he did one version of the movie and they didn't like it. And they made him go back and reshoot a bunch of scenes. Who knows? It feels like that. It feels like, I don't know. It feels like they made a movie and then decided to change, you know, like 25, 30% of it. And 
it just doesn't fit. She is extremely sexy, right? She's mm-hmm. pretty comfortable. She spends a fair amount of the time on screen nude. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Um, and she has got um a wonderful smile. Like I said before, a movie star smile. Like when she, regardless of the English as second language issue, when she smiles at the camera, you're like, that's a face that woman was born to be on screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yet, oddly, she doesn't seem to have any on-screen chemistry with any of the men that she either seduces and attacks or that is supposed to be her love interest, right? So there's an undercover cop who is a member of the family. And then is it Angela Bassett is his? Yeah, yeah. I forget. They didn't even mention Angela Bassett in the as the main credit. Well, this had to have been a pretty early role for her. Yeah. has a couple of like strained little scenes where she's basically, you know, like we're pulling you out of there. And he's like, you can't pull me out now. Like I'm so close. She's too dangerous, you know? Yeah. And, and so, so this th- is chock full of people, you know? Yeah. And this um, guy is hell bent on getting, you know, it's the departed or whatever. This, this undercover cop is hell bent on bringing down the big boss and he's this close. So, all of this vampire stuff kind of throws a curveball in it. And it's clear on the page he is supposed to, she is seductive, right? She is, there's a comic scene where she's like, you know, there's these two sort of cops that are doing what Angela, Angela Bass is like, stay on him, you know, make sure he gets that. So there's these two kind of, you know, Pete and repeat who are sort of chasing him around. And there's a scene in which she's, twirling them around her finger and and getting their heads all kooky and that's supposed to be played for laughs uh but for the most part you get it she doesn't have any trouble talking her way into one of these guys cars and they're all just kind of gaga over here and it's clear that this undercover agent is is also supposed to fall for her he's on to her Right. He he understands that something supernatural is going on here. He sees her with blood all over her face and the, the mob boss's dead body in the tub. So he knows that she killed him by tearing his throat out with her teeth. Whether or not he can bring himself to believe that she's a vampire or not, that's makes an impression. Right. So he knows that she's dangerous and a murderess and there's something else going on here. But he clearly can't help. They sort of team up to go get this guy because uh, she's now. So what one thing we didn't say is she only apparently eats bad people and then she takes a shotgun and blows their head off before they can turn. So she's doesn't want to eat, drink innocent blood, which is, I guess, where the, the title comes from. And mm-hmm. she doesn't want to leave a trail of vampires in her wake. Mm-hmm. We don't know more than that. We don't get more of her backstory. We none of this is why none of that's ever answered. Um, but he doesn't know that he's safe from her. But that's supposed to be part of it. Like it's pretty well built as a kind of a romantic comedy in that way. But you don't feel any of this on mm-hmm. screen. Like there is stuff where he's saying. He's sort of playing like he's scared of her and there's stuff where he's playing like he's sort of angry at her. Like, I know you were a murderer. You're a criminal. I need to take you in. But what we never see is him making eyes at her despite himself. And I would think that's the one obvious scene 
like for those of you watching, there's this sort of scene behind me where they're sitting on the couch, you know, and she is more or less naked wearing one of his coats for blah, blah, blah movie reasons. And he's injured and she sort of taped him up and he's sitting there on the couch and it's supposed to be awkward because she's like, I like you. Uh, I want to be, you know, your temporary girlfriend because I'm a woman and I have needs. It's the only thing that makes my she has a monologue in the beginning. That's the only thing that makes my existence worth living is sex, basically mm -hmm. it's hard finding the right partner. So she's decided this is the right partner and I, I'm not going to eat him because he's a good guy. She doesn't explain any of this to him. Uh, he knows she's a killer and maybe a vampire. So that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this scene could have been the anchor of the movie. And it just is a big nothing burger. I thought like I even went back and rewatched this scene and I just couldn't figure out what was going through their head. Directly. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom Savini is who I was trying to think of. He's the Tom photographer. Savini. He's the photographer guy, but he's in the car. He's the guy in the car. car. Yeah. He's from, he's a, I mean, he lives in Pittsburgh now, but he's a, I think he's lived in Pittsburgh his whole life, but um, so he's another basically cameo that he put in the movie, but yeah, I don't. And this gets into what the movie was versus kind of what I would want it to be. But I, I think a better film, you know, it, it, it starts out with her, you know, uh, killing Chaz Palminteri, and then she she tries to kill Robert Loggia. I don't know if she, I don't remember if she kills anybody else in between or not. But you know, it goes from her going around killing these guys, which I think, you know, so much of the time with mob movies, uh, you know, people get kind of the wrong message from them where they look at these people as heroic figures right. and this at least early on kind of turns it on the head on its head because it's like here's this vampire going around killing these scumbag guys you know and you have that for a little while and then once robert loja is turned then it just becomes the two of them trying to stop him you know which i don't i i think a more interesting maybe a more simple story but i think a more interesting story is him meeting her and falling for her and her continuing to kill these mob guys yeah you know and yeah. him being like well i love her and she's killing these bad guys but also i'm a cop and right. what she's doing is right. wrong you know and then well, he's got a killer at the end or whatever you know and none yeah. of that happens yeah, in a, in a woulda, coulda, shoulda world. I mean, I, that's one of the things that I loved so much about Let the Right One In is, mm -hmm. yes, it's a different vision of a vampire as a 12-year-old, but the the relationship with the sort of male familiar that at first is sibling or friend and, and then as the human ages is a more like an uncle or a father figure, right, mm -hmm. over time because... The vampire doesn't age, but the person that she latches on to, she, he, they latch on to does. And I thought, oh, that's, and why does this person stay? Like, what is the hold that a vampire has over a human being? You know, and in, in the traditional sense, it's seduction, but I love the peeling that onion of like, well, what, 
what what to what depth does that go is it simply a romantic or a sexual seduction because that movie was sort of like no these these two people that we see in the course of the movie the first one that dies early and then the one with whom is, uh, that person is replaced seem to form a bond with the vampire that is almost existential mm-hmm you know, and I had never really seen that on screen before. I thought that was super cool. I love playing with the moral ambiguity of it and your idea of, you know, keeping it with the mafia, which after The Sopranos is complicated because, you know, you root for Tony Soprano and his family, but they're they're monsters, you know, and the movie doesn't oh, yeah. let you forget, or the, the movie, the series yeah. doesn't let you forget that. It keeps reminding you that they are almost psychopathic killers, really, mm-hmm. only interested in themselves. And you have a couple of Sopranos actors in many, this. actually. Yeah. Yes, you're kind of like, "Where's Tony?" You look, yeah, around, yeah. You're like the only one missing for this picture is Gandolfini. But uh, yeah, I mean, I that would have, I think that would have been a better movie. Uh, yeah, I kind of w- when I sat down and we started rolling, and I heard the soundtrack and everything, I was like, I wanted to like it, mm-hmm. but I just ended up feeling like it didn't really ever come together. It didn't sort of deliver, and I didn't. I keep harping on this, but I I didn't find myself particularly caring about any of the characters, even her, who I've gone on about now, but even her, her who I think is instantly uh, charming. You know, once she smiles, you're kind of like, well, all right, I like her, but yeah. I don't. I never found myself caring. You're like, she's not going to die. You you know, this movie is not one in where this vampire is going to get staked. Mm-hmm. It's never even. You know, there you yeah. never crosses your mind that anything <laughs> terminal could happen to that character. And spoiler alert, you know, they wind up killing Robert Loja in the end, and it's just like they're gonna live happily ever after this cop yeah. and this vampire, I guess. Yeah. Uh not to be too critical of her, because because like you've said, you know, she's beautiful and very charming and all that, but um I wonder why she was cast in this film. Yeah, You know, it's there's not any reason that this character has to be French, you know, and they don't explain any of that. I mean, I suppose that, you know, if you want to read something into it, it could be like, well, you know, she has to go from place to place, you know, to stay ahead of getting caught or whatever. But were you familiar at all with her? Had you ever seen her in anything else? Not that I she, she does look vaguely familiar in some way, but I couldn't place what other films i would have seen her in so i looked i looked her up and she is the she is in the original uh la femme nikita which i've never which i'd never seen um and and that's one that we should do on the show i i would be interested in watching that but with that being a french film presumably when she's speaking her native language i would think that the line delivery is probably better yeah Um, she's the kid She's the Natalie Portman role from the remake. Is that correct? Uh, so that is the professional remake of La Femme oh, Nikita. I think I I think so. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong about that. She's an adult and because it was just it was made just like shortly before this. So just a uh, reminder to our listeners, we are not film professionals. Yeah, I, I think know. they, they did an actual so there was an actual I was not like I know the history of La Femme Nikita, but there was a, an American remake. And then there was a show like in the mid nineties. 
um, that I never really watched either. But anyway, that, that's one that we ought to do. It it uh, sure. it gets a pretty high rating, and yeah, and you know, it, it might be interesting. But uh, so yeah, I just wonder what the reasoning was for her being cast in this. Yeah, because there isn't any reason that this couldn't have been an American actor or a British actor or something. You know. No, and if you want to uh, also, if you want to be a nerd about it, which I can't help being, um, this vampire depicted in this film, you get the sense that this vampire has been operating in this way for a while. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a new vampire. This is an old vampire. Yeah. So whether that's 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years, maybe not 1,000. Um, and to to me you know you got nothing but time on your hands you've never learned to speak english better than this why why are you operating in pittsburgh yeah there you know none of these choices ever come anywhere into the film and and they're one of my favorite things about like so a vampire movie i remember watching true blood and there's a character that was one of the oldest he kept saying like i'm almost three thousand years old and he would talk about pre-roman times and you know and Mm -hmm. you think what a juicy performance where that's introduced into what a juicy role to play when that's introduced into it, the choices you can make. I mean, you'd go and he is insane, but you would go insane living that long yeah. um, and exploring the ways in which that would affect your mind. I always think about with vampire movies, the the thought of uh, living forever. I always think about how exhausting it would be have to try to figure out how to make a living all that time you yeah. know what i mean it's just yeah. like oh now like i you know i gotta learn to do this thing now and you know um so yeah uh a couple of little tidbits with this um and just I, a little bit of reading that i did about it it initially had an nc-17 rating i don't it didn't say if that was for i mean there's a lot she's naked a lot in this you know as you said so I don't know if it was explicit sex or if it was violence, but they they had to cut two or three minutes out to get to get an R rating. Might have might have been a bit of both. Um, there's a pretty intimate sex scene. It's You're not right. It's not graphic, but it does. It's affecting. It's mm. uh, again. It's it's mostly her. I mean, he's just she handcuffs of, herself, and you know. And, yeah, yeah, and you think this feels like a French movie. Like this, this is, uh, you know, the pan is so hot here. It's starting to smoke. That's Uh, another one of those weird tonal things, you know? Yeah. Um, Like, you know, if the movie had, you know, if you're going to cast this actor, you gotta, you have to let that affect the whole movie needs to be, um, the crown in which that jewel is set. The whole movie mm-hmm. needs to support that. Whether you decide to go counter it, where it's like in this world of like Clams Casino and, uh, you know, oh, that we bring this element into that. And the whole thing is how that resonates and chimes. But I, I think to make it effective, it just felt really arbitrary. And I'm like, why would you put this ingredient in that dish? Mm-hmm. Um, because it just you know and that can be surprising you to carry on a culinary metaphor that can be surprising sometimes you're like wow i never would have imagined pineapple on pizza but it's really good you know what i mean um that's the kind of thing you're going for when you say well we've got the french vampire and we got the italian mob but 
it didn't feel like there was really an it'll work no no it won't just you can't just let it be you have to craft it in such a way that it works in surprising ways and i didn't see any effort toward that yeah i don't you know i don't think you can do violent and scary and sexy and funny all in the same movie you know i'm not saying it can't be done but it's tough pretty high bar yeah and And i think something like you know an american werewolf in london where like i was saying you know i kind of think as of as a serious movie that has jokes in it that's kind of how real life is you know you you're not a hundred percent serious all day or all week or whatever you know serious things can you know people people go to a funeral and they're crying one minute and they're laughing you know the next minute so i think you can put you know, you can have a very serious film and put jokes in it or not, not even necessarily jokes, but people saying humorous things. Right. But this, just the slapstick stuff is, is what really yeah. got to me. You yeah. Know? I agree with you a hundred percent. The comedy is a part, it's how we navigate our life. And it is one of the, one of the, one of the mechanisms we use to cope with how, painful and disappointing and tragic life can be i i saw a production of king lear at uh lincoln center oh 10 12 i don't know years ago with christopher Plummer playing lear and what struck me the most like for those of you who don't know king lear it's long (laughs) and it is absolutely harrowing um this production was the best Lear I've ever seen because the director and the cast found every opportunity for comedy they could. And there ain't a ton of it in Lear, Mm -hmm. but they found every possible opportunity for comedy and they really nailed it. And, and that, I thought that that's how, that's how you do Lear. Like that's the only way Lear is bearable because it's, such a body blow of tragedy after body blow after body blow the whole thing and it's like four hours long Mm -hmm. and i think that i think that having something that is scary and or uh you know drama tragic and funny it's the most natural thing in the world because humor is what we go to to deal with the horror of this stuff and I think they did it in the 80s, those slasher films. It was sort of baked right into it, and it didn't feel... I mean, that's a whole separate tone they were going for, but it it doesn't feel jarring. Camp and horror doesn't feel jarring because in some ways they feel like but two different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it just felt sort of like... What is this? Uh, a slapstick, like you said. It was like, this is a... Three Stooges? What? what yeah, we, Marx Brothers. What are we going for here? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, casting kind of... Don Rickles. <laughs> Don Rickles is it? I don't. I can't think of too many other actual, you know, film performances I've seen Don Rickles in. And he's not bad in it, you know. I mean, he's no. you know, um... but he's also not the funny lawyer. Like it's yeah. a straight role for Don Rickles, and you're mm-hmm. like. You got to let this guy off the leash. You got to give him something, right? Yeah. And this guy is directed. I mean, what you said, 48 hours, right? Did he do Coming uh, to America? He, he did Coming to America. He did. He didn't do 48 hours, I don't think. He did uh, 
Trading Places. Trading Places. Okay, Trading Places, funny movie, right? Yeah. Coming to America, really funny movie. So it's not that, I mean, those are probably later than this. And the Blues Brothers. Yeah, I didn't think the Blues Blues Brothers is a classic. I don't don't really find it all that funny. (laughs) But, But, you know, I guess at least later you're able, and, you know, working with Eddie Murphy, you just got to get out of his way. But Don Rickles is not like he's doesn't know what he's doing with a joke. Maybe he learned later in his directing career, you got to cast the right people and then you have to let them do their thing instead of being Well, and here's the thing (laughs) with Landis at this point is in his career. um, I don't know how familiar you are with any of that, but he was, have you ever seen Twilight Zone, the movie? Yes. Like, okay. So, you know, that's an anthology and they had different directors for each story. And one of the ones that he directed is um, this guy who is a racist and he gets kind of magically in a Twilight Zone way sent back to like the Civil War. And he's this white racist guy and he gets back to sent back to the Civil War and everybody sees him as black. And there's another part where he gets sent to Vietnam during the Vietnam War and everybody sees him as uh you know the as a vietnamese uh person and when they were working on the film um the uh this actor that the actor who plays the racist guy um there's a scene where there's a it's the vietnam vietnam scene and there's a helicopter flying overhead and it's him and two vietnamese children that he's running with and when they were filming that um they Landis wanted the helicopter to be really low and he was screaming, you know, lower, lower. And the the helicopter crashed and it killed that guy, that actor and those two children. It, it decapitated them, the, like the blades of the helicopter. And so that caused a lot of damage to his career because he was actually tried for, um, you know, like negligent homicide. He didn't, he wasn't convicted, but Steven Spielberg was a producer of that movie and directed one of the segments and they were good friends. And after that Spielberg kind of, you know, distanced himself from him. And uh, so at this point in his career, I think he was kind of struggling to get stuff made. Um, So, you know, you wonder how, like I say, you wonder how much the, the studio interfered or he just, the budget was only 20 million, um, which even for 1992 isn't a lot uh or wasn't a lot and it only made like five million so it was a big flop yeah um but uh anyway so you know i mean he was a really great director oh, uh a horrible you know. story yeah yeah i don't mean to be a downer but yeah no, that's, uh, no but think uh, about what i mean the tragic loss of life uh speaks for itself but having something like that happen during the shooting of a movie, I don't know how, I mean, that's, it's a big collaborative artistic project. Mm -hmm. It's fraught with all kinds of hardship, financial location, you know, people on, there's a lot of people involved, their relationships get in the way. It's, it's hard to make a movie full stop. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to make a good movie. And having uh, something like that it seems like that would just utterly destroy the project i just can't even imagine finishing yeah i mean they still you know obviously the film was still released and and 
in, and I don't know if, how much controversy there was about that at the time. I, I, I think it was quite a bit after the release that he went to trial. And like I say, he wasn't convicted, um, but it definitely hurt his career because, you know, there were people that viewed him as a, you know, as a bad guy after this. Yeah, reckless, um, if nothing else. Like... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, he also famously directed uh, the Michael Jackson thriller video as well, which, you know, was a is a giant cultural you know thing for anybody who I, lived in the 80s i used to get sick of it because they played it on such heavy rotation on mtv and it was 15 minutes so it's not mm -hmm. like just sit through this one for the next one like that's the beginning of short attention span kids yeah <laughs> mtv when i'm like oh my god the 15 minute michael jackson one again mm -hmm. yeah it was a big deal so right. what do you think as far as uh, final rating, recommendation, and that kind of stuff? I, I will probably not. I will probably not recommend it, just using the entertaining litmus test. Um, I mean, if you've enjoyed our conversation and you think, huh, that sounds crazy. I want to check it out. It was like $2.99 on Amazon Prime. Um and we but, didn't spoil too much except the ending. I spoiled no, the ending. We didn't get but, but, too but, much into the plot. Guess what? they win i mean you, there's nothing in this movie that sets up this sort of like man maybe this is one of those ones where the good guy gets it in the end it's, no it's not that movie and it's immediately obvious from the beginning so we didn't really spoil anything um but i you know if i just say you know is it good to sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch this on your own i'd be kind of not really <laughs> it's like is it good for a date to do the same as the above not really so, <laughs> like, i guess thumbs down for me i liked it a little more i mean i would say it's kind of a mild recommend this is i mean you know there's nothing terrible about it and you know you, know, you you watching this i mean you can see that you know he was a talented or is a talented director you know it's shot well and it looks good and overall i i think pretty much all the performances are are good except you know her line delivery and and i mostly had fun with it it's just the like we talked about a lot just the the that it's kind of all over the place with the tone but yeah you know if you if you like horror comedy i mean there aren't a ton of these movies that are necessarily great um and also i I like going back and watching movies from the time frame when we grew up, because this would have just been like beginning of college for us. Yeah. Uh, I like to watch movies from that era that I've not seen before. Um, so, you know, I think it's kind of fun to just see what things look like, you know, and sort of have some of that nostalgia from that, that period. But I mean, this movie is kind of about a six out of 10, I think. There was enough about it that I enjoyed that I was entertain entertained overall, but it's not a great movie by any any stretch of the imagination. Fair enough. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That is our handle. We are on the socials. You might be listening to us on one of your favorite podcast applications, or you might be watching slash listening to us on our YouTube channel. Either way, if you like and subscribe. Leave a comment, engage. Those are all good things in the digital world for us, and we love to hear from you. Yeah, let us know how we're doing, and if you have suggestions for things for us to watch, we're always open for that. Sure. Open to that. 
Next time, we're going to be talking about uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is um, uh, West John Carpenter. Oh, I'm sorry, John, John Carpenter. Of course, yes. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter, uh, one of the lesser known ones, I felt. Um, and uh, yeah. that should be interesting. It's got, uh, man, me and the names. Who's uh, Sam? Sam Neill. Sam Neill in, stars in that. And uh, yeah, if you feel like it, take a check that out and we can talk about that together uh, next time. And unless you have anything else to add, Monsieur. No, I think that's it. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.